Uh, go ahead and be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here, and I'm just really excited uh, to be with you here today at our West Haven campus. Uh, I was talking to a few people, and it just feels like it's been a while since I've been here. And the minute I walked into this place, it just felt like home. So I just want you to know that I love this place, that I love our West Haven campus. And I'm so excited to share with you as we're uh, in week two of our series, uh, studying the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Now today, I want to start out by asking a question. Have you ever lost something important to you? I mean, think about this just for a moment. Maybe it's uh, like if you're at my house, you lose uh, your keys or your wallet or maybe your cell phone. Many of us have really kind of experienced that and the emotions that come with that. Maybe it's something a little bit more valuable. You know, for me, I've been, this is wedding wing number three. I've lost two other ones. So pray for me that this one doesn't go too. We've been married now 20 years. Uh, maybe it was a time where you lost a child, do you remember how you felt in those moments? And, and isn't it funny when we lose something, uh, we're willing to do just about anything to get that thing back, right? If, if we're looking for our keys or our phone or our wallet, what do we do? We trace our step, every step. We check every pocket. We check every place that we usually put those items. Uh, you know, maybe it's something valuable to you that, that you scour uh, every nook and cranny for that thing. For us, something valuable at home is the TV remote. If you have kids, you know what I'm saying, right? When that TV remote goes, it's the end of the world. And so what do you do? You look everywhere for it. I mean, we're talking about lifting up couches and cushions. And when you open up the cushions, you see what's in the cushions and you put the cushion right back, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Or how about that time when, when you lost your child? And the worst case scenario came through your mind and there was fear and anxiety and worry and all of the worst possible things running through your head. And then you find her, you find him, you find what you're looking for and everything changes. You know, today what we're going to see is really this theme kind of playing out in Luke chapter 15. It's a theme of the lost being found, of what was once lost being found, and the joy that comes in those things. And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's really where we're going to uh, be spending the most uh, amount of our time today, about 99% of it. And what we're going to see is this theme playing out, but really a bigger theme. And the theme is, is that God the Father, our God in heaven, is looking for us, broken, lost sinners, and he stops at nothing to find us. And when we turn to him, the Bible says that the response is joy. It's joy. It's life change. And so we're going to look into Luke chapter 15. Again, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can earmark that. Before we jump in, let's pray one more time together. Lord Jesus, uh, God, we ask for your word to penetrate our hearts today. God, let these be your words. God, as your son Jesus tells these stories, uh, God, would we be changed by them? Would it pierce our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our sin, God, and our brokenness? And would you be elevated? God, you say that your word is living and active. We pray that it would uh, speak to us alive today, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, follow along. We're going to actually start in the very first couple of verses because I think it's very important, and here's what we read in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 
It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And it says that this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Can you even begin to imagine? And so here's what we see playing out in this, this chapter, Luke chapter 15, is the author tells us that Jesus is teaching. In fact, Jesus is uh, really the the greatest teacher of all times. He's God in the flesh, and so he's speaking and imparting a wisdom that only God can give. And the Bible says that he is so engaging, his teaching is so life-changing, that everyone's coming to listen to him, even sinners. And so you have these sinners who are notorious, they are far from God, and then you have these religious elite, the Pharisees, the highest of religious people that are also there, and Jesus is teaching them both, and he has something for both of them. And it says, as he's imparting this wisdom, he's doing it in a very unique way, right? We know that Jesus teaches uh, with what are called parables, and parables are really just an earthly story, if you will with a heavenly meaning. And so he's giving them a divine concept. The greatest teacher isn't just dumping on them theologically. What he's doing is he's giving them information, a story that they can relate to that points them to a deeper understanding of heaven. And so Jesus is engaging them. And if you remember last week, uh, we, we, ta- we talked about the, the story of the prodigal son, right? And we know that the prodigal son, he lived a life full of bad decisions. Sounds like a lot of us, I know it sounds like me, but bad decision after bad decision after bad decision happened in his life. Uh, just a quick recap if you weren't here, right? We know that he, he asked for his family inheritance early. Uh, this was a disgrace. In cultural context, this is basically like the son saying to his father, I would rather have you dead because I want your money. And so the father, he obliges, gives him <clears throat> his portion of the inheritance, and what does he do? The Bible says, well, he goes off and he squanders it in wild living, party living, and he literally makes bad decision. He moves away from his family, he spends all of his money, and he finds himself in a desperate situation. Now, the story says that he realized, he came to his senses that he made a bad decision. And in that, he went back to his father and asked for forgiveness. And in that, we would think, man, well, you know, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders would have said, man, look at how he lived his life. He deserves this. Shouldn't he be punished? And Jesus shocks them. Jesus shows them a sign of love. And so what we're going to do today is we're now going to look in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to see how the father responds to the son. But we're also going to take a look at two other parables that come before this one. Because if you read through Luke chapter 15, you see Jesus uses two other parables to really kind of bridge this final parable. So we're going to be taking a look at all of them, jumping back and forth. But I think that there are three things that we can see today in the story of the father responding to the son. But even more, I think this has everything to do with us, God the father responding to you and to me. And So the first thing that I want us to see here today is this is that God the Father chases down those who are lost. So I'm going to give you a story that happened to me and and my wife. Now, don't judge us because we all are parents at some time. Uh, So I'm giving you this warning. But there was a a period when my daughter, Brecken, she was 
she was kind of in diapers. She was a toddler at the time, and she literally got into everything. It was, it was just a crazy time. <clears throat> and so there was this time where we had some friends and some family over, and when we had them over, we were kind of hanging out, and, and Brecken was being a little bit more quiet than she normally is, right? She's usually into everything. It's utter chaos all of the time. It felt really good that she wasn't doing what she normally does, but we began to realize, where is she? <laughs> you know, like, what's she doing? <clears throat> is she playing hide-and-seek? So what do we do? We say, Brecken, Brecken, where are you? And we're screaming for her, and we don't hear anything. So then, right, we lose something, and we begin to panic. Our, our, our voices begin to raise, Brecken, you know, where are you? Brecken, where, where are you hiding? Where are you? And so we're looking around in the house. At this time, we're starting to panic. We go downstairs, and the back door is wide open. <clears throat> wide open. So then we're like, okay, that doesn't make sense. So then we look out, and we can see our gate wide open. <laughs> so our little daughter is now wandering who knows where. And so the screams began to be fear, you know, tears. I was trying to be manly man, but I was my daughter. And so we're running around the neighborhood, literally chasing after our daughter. So we find her. She was about a half a block away down the hill, and she was in our, one of our neighbor's driveway having a conversation with a guy that we have never met before, and she was talking in baby talk with her diaper, like just standing there. And I remember when I saw her how fast I ran after her. And I grabbed her, and I held on to her like I had never held on to anything in my life. And you see, there's this idea that when we lose something very precious to us and valuable to us, we jump into attack mode, and we go, and we try to find that thing. Now, here's what I want us to see about this story. Let's put ourselves in the, the, the mindset or the mind frame of the father in this situation. Remember, he's probably hurt. Like, his son just asked for his money, basically telling him, I want you dead, and he gave it to him, and that son then left. And you, can you be, imagine the feelings, man, just in anticipation, God, would you please bring my son back to me? God, would you please do whatever it takes in his life to help him realize that what he has done has been hurtful? God, would you just do what only you can do to bring him back? He's waiting there in anticipation. And we begin to see and feel the humanity of the Father, right? Broken in one sense, but also in anticipation, longing for his son to come back. And so here's what we see in verse 20. It says, so he returned home to his father after he had hit rock bottom, after he had come to his senses, and while he was still a long way off, you know, there's this anticipation of the father probably waiting from sun up till sundown to see if his son's going to come. It says, as he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. You see, I think at face value, we look at this story much like the religious leaders, much like the Pharisees, and we say, man, this kid deserves a punishment, doesn't he? Like, you know, he just did all of these things that were so 
wrong to his family, to his family name, to his father. And surely there should be a consequence. You know, surely the father should say to him, look, what you have done has been harmful. What you have done has shamed the name of the family. Like, you need to understand what happened. But instead, what we see is this picture of the father running after his son, regardless of what has happened, embracing him, holding him, loving him. And Jesus is shocking the religious leaders and saying, listen, what was lost has now returned home, and I'm going to run after him with everything that I am. You know, what we see is Jesus painting this picture, what, what was lost is now returning. And so we, if we jump back into the first part of, of Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus painting this theme before the prodigal son story. It says in verse 3 that Jesus told them this story. If a man, many of us have heard this story, has a hundred sheep and one of them gets out, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that that is lost until he finds it? You know, here Jesus is saying that there's this, this this shepherd who has all of these sheep and one gets away. And there's 99 that are there. And and I begin to look at this and I think, okay, well, this is just basic math. If I have 100 sheep, one runs away, I still have 99. Why would I put all 99 of them at risk and go find the one? Right? Am I the only one thinking that? And, And what Jesus is saying is like that one person is important or that one sheep is important. So the shepherd will lay down all of the other sheep to go find the one. He then goes on to, to say this in the second parable in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? You know, at face value, again, we look at this and we think, well, what's just one coin out of ten, right? Well, the, the, the terminology that Jesus used is here about this coin is called a drachma, and a drachma is literally one day's wage. So if we begin to look at this lady who has 10 days wages in her hand, and she loses one of those coins, that's a tenth of her income. That's the only math that you're going to get from a Roy High education. But I know that. I know that. And so what we see here is what she's saying is that this is important, and so what does she do? She lights her lamp. She scours the house, and she looks under every cushion. Doesn't this sound familiar? Because what is valuable to us is worth being found. And so Jesus is painting this picture that when one leaves, because remember the story of the prodigal son is not just one son, it's two, and only one left. But both sons are important. We're going to read more about that in week chapter three. But doesn't this sound like our intro Right When we lose something that's valuable to us, we will do just about anything to find that thing. And here's what I want us to see here. As Jesus is teaching a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, we need to understand what he's saying here. He's saying that one person who is lost, one sinner, one person who is far away from God is worth God coming after that one person with everything that he has, with all of his resources, with all of his power, with all of his might, he is chasing after the one. He is chasing after you, he's chasing after me, and he wants us to turn from our sin and turn to him. 
Bible says that if we do that, we experience value in life more than anything that we could ever lose. You see, we read these stories and we think, oh, those are just great stories, but we have to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants us to understand that he wants to be in relationship with even the worst sinner. You know, I think for many of us, I know at times in my life I've thought, man, how could God possibly love someone like me? I mean, a sinner at the core. Like, if you had a laundry list of everything that I have done, you know, and I think many of us feel the same way. Our sin disqualifies us, man. What we have done pushes us too far away from God or the situation that I'm in. God, God couldn't possibly love me or I haven't been worthy enough to him. Well, here's what I want you to know, and this is what this story is saying. That could not be any further from the truth. Every single one of us, whether we're far or near to God, is important to him, and he'll do just about anything to get our attention. In fact, I believe that he's chasing after our heart, knocking at the door of our heart. Would we open up and let him in? Let's jump into the second point, what we're going to see here in these three parables. We find is this, is that God the Father responds with joy when a sinner repents. And I think this is powerful for so many reasons. And if we remember the story last week of the prodigal son, we see this picture, this clear picture of repentance. Right, repentance is kind of this churchy word, uh, but defined, what the word means is there's a sincere remorse or there's a guilt of some decisions that we've made. Uh, the word that, that Jesus uses in here is a Greek word called metanoia, and what that word means literally is just to, to have a change of mind. It means to literally turn from one way and go the other way. And you see, I really think that's the definition of sin, right? Sin is us going our own way. There's God's standard, his standard, his glorious standard that we find in his word. And many of us, we go our own way. We think our way is better. And so when we turn from God and go the other way, that's sin. But if we repent, if we have a change of mind, if we have a metanoia, that means we turn from that sin and we turn the other way and we go to God. That's a picture of repentance. And you see, there was a moment in uh, the prodigal son's mind where he said, I have to make a different decision. I'm going to repent. I'm going to say I'm sorry to my father, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned not only against him, but I've also sinned to heaven, and I'm going to ask him to hire me on as his servant, because surely he's not going to take me on as his son. You know, Jesus, again, confirms this picture, this idea that every single one of us is important, and there is a moment where we have to say, I'm going to turn from my sin, going my own way, and when I do, I'm going to go to God's way, and I'm not going to be judged or condemned or, you know, even held accountable for my sin. Instead, what God is going to do is he's going to completely and freely forgive me. Listen to what it says in, in verses 5 and 6. It says, and when he has found it, he's talking about the shepherd who went out to look for his one sheep. It says, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulder. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And listen, friends, to what it says, because Jesus goes a little bit door, uh, deeper than just an earthly story. He now gives us divine understanding. He says this in verse seven. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven. Please listen, friends. There is more joy in heaven 
when one lost sinner repents and returns to God, then over 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. If you don't begin to understand the heart of God in that verse right there, you need to understand. It's not about how good we can be. It's not about how great we are or anything good that we've done. It is about God loving us so much in our sin that he's willing to chase after us and forgive us completely. And the Bible says that when we do, there's a party in heaven. When one person repents, the angels are rejoicing. That is the heart of God. Listen to what it says about the lost coin in verse 9. And when she finds it, she will call her in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Or in my case, my lost remote, right? In the same way, verse 10, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God, God's angels when even one sinner repents. You know, I think what happens is we look at people who are living in sin and we say, oh, man. You know, even people who come into our churches and we say, man, your lifestyle or, or your sin. You know, we, we literally judge people. But here is what, what God is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans, Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of that sin, the result of that sin is death. Every single one of us have strayed away. Every single one of us deserve death. But you see, we get what we don't deserve in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead, we get love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And when we turn to him away from our sin, there's a party in heaven. There's a party in heaven. One day we get to engage in that party. Let's look at the story then in verse, uh, verse 22. It says, but his father said to his servants, and I can even, I just begin to imagine what all of these religious leaders, these pious, you know, elitists are thinking. Man, he deserves the worst. You're eating with sinners? Shame on you. <laughs> and here's what Jesus says. He goes on into the story. His father, he did something completely different. He said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. Please listen. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party begins. Right? Like the music. Like, let's go. Let's go. This is the party. It's not shame and and doubt, and why? It's welcome home. You've been lost. You made bad decisions. I just want to hold you. I just want to love you. You were lost, but now you are found. You know, I, I love this picture, because what this is saying, this is the, the, one, of the, one of the only places in all of Scripture that says that there's going to, there's literally partying going on in heaven, and it's when a sinner responds to the grace of God. You know, we, we hold grudges when people harm us. We, 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 we say, oh, you sinned against me. To hell with you. You know, not the place and not the swear word, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you deserve the worst. But you see, we serve a God who gives us the best. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Jesus is saying that when we turn and repent, God joyously responds to us. Doesn't judge us, doesn't condemn us, doesn't give us what we deserve, which is righteous judgment and, and shame and even death. Instead, he loves us. In fact, he took sin upon his shoulders on the cross so that we could be made right with him. He loves us that much, friends. I'm going to end with this. It's our last point today. God the Father is extravagant in his love towards his children. You know, we think this word extravagant, we think of like lots of money, you know, lots of things or, or doing crazy things with lots of money. You know, maybe it's, you know, the, the, the highest financial people who have, you know, jets and yachts and private islands. Wouldn't it be nice to have a private island? Don't. And, and we see this, literally all three of these things being played out in the story. You know, the father gives excessively high, extravagant things. You know, he exceeds the, the bounds of reason or opinion of those that are, he's teaching. Like, man, this is probably a little bit over the top. A simple focus on is this last idea of extravagance. Going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. I think about that in, in, in everything, specifically in my life when it comes to being a sinner. God goes above and beyond what is deserved or justifiable in my life. And you see, that's what Jesus is doing. You know, so when we come to this idea, well, what does it mean that God is extravagant in his love to us? Well, I think if we go back to verse 22, we see this, that God does something that isn't deserved, that isn't justifiable. You know, the, again, the, the son only cared about his dad's money. He didn't care about his family name. It was all about him. And Jesus, is, his audience is listening to this, and they're thinking, yes, bring the weight of their sin upon them. And Jesus again shocks them, and he shows them extravagant love. And he says this, again, in verse 22. It says, his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We're fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Do you see what he does here? I mean, many of us, we just read through that and we're thinking he's getting ready for the party. But every single one of the things that he does has extreme value and extravagant significance. When his father gives him his robe, scholars would say that the robe is for the head of the home. And so he literally gave him his robe and put it on his son. His son that just deserted him. His son that just shamed his family name. He said, here, here's the robe. He put on his family signet. The, the, the wealth of his family would say, this is the family signet. He gives it to him. He, he gives him the sandals off of his own feet because, listen, the servant's sandals, they weren't worthy to have sandals. In fact, they were treated as lesser than. And so what this was saying is that he literally was giving, the, the servants were giving the sandals to the prodigal son. And so the father's saying, you get my robe, you get my ring, and you get my Air Jordans too, right? How I many is that? That's lavish. It's lavish. I mean, I think when, when I know what's going on with my kids, I, all I want to give them is, hey, buddy, it's okay. You're not getting my Air Jordans, right? Like, and if that wasn't enough, what we see is that he gave them, or he prepared the fattened calf. And that was very costly. He's saying, my son has been lost, and now he's found He's getting the best. You're going to see how the brother responds to this next week. Hopefully you come back. But there's something very important about all of this. 
God was extravagant in his love to his child. And he's the same way to us. Look at, let's go back to verse 20. So, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, again, we, we read that as just a part of the story. But you see, Jesus was God, and he has divine understanding, and, and he knew exactly what he was doing. What he was doing is he was connecting something that the religious leaders would have known. They would have known the Old Testament. And here's where we see this. This is demonstrating in Psalm chapter 103 who God is. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. See that love and compassion? It says, he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He doesn't punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. You know, we sang about that today. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. You see, we read Luke chapter 15 and we see it as a story and a parable. But what Jesus was doing He's demonstrating that the story is about God the Father. Our Father, who loves us so much that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us love, grace, mercy, patience, and it's free. Friends, I want to close with this today. If, If you're here today and you feel lost, you feel far away, God is there waiting to give you his extravagant love. In fact, he demonstrated that love by dying on the cross. You see, Jesus left the comfort of heaven. The Bible says he was the one receiving worship and glory in heaven. And he stepped from heaven to earth and he took on humanity. He took on flesh. He was God, Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says that he then lived a life that we couldn't live, perfect without sin. Died a death that we deserved on the cross. He took the weight of yours and mine and everyone's sin and shame upon his shoulders. And he died. He paid the penalty of death upon the cross so that we could be made new. The Bible says he didn't stay there. He rose to new life. He had power and dominion over death in the grave. And because of that, when we say yes to God, we receive his righteousness, his lavishness, his mercy and his grace, his extravagant love. If you've never done that today, friend, I'd love, with you, I'd love to share how easy it is. We'll have pastors and leaders up here who have. For those of you who have, maybe you feel far away. Maybe you feel distant. Maybe you're just checking off the boxes. Maybe you're going through a situation in your marriage or at work or whatever it might be that you feel like, God, where are you? He's there. The Bible says that we cast our cares upon him. He will give us a peace that surpasses human understanding. Would you turn to him today? Let's pray. And Father, your word, again, gives life and it brings life to us today. God, when we look at this story, I pray that we would not just see stories, but instead, God, we would see things that would give us life change. May we not just read your word for face value, but would we study it? Would we begin to understand it? Would we see your concepts? Would we dig deeper than just a Sunday morning, God? And when we do, would you change us from the inside out? God, would you change everything about us? God, today, would you help us to see that we are the lost sinner 
and you want to be in relationship with us and you freely give us your love. God, may we receive that love today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.